Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So please open your Bibles to John chapter 15, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 17 uh, this morning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Greetings. It's much more crowded this week. It's exciting to see many people back. And, um, and it's exciting as we go through this portion of John and we consider promises that Jesus has made us. Over the last four weeks, we've considered Jesus' um, servant, loving servant leadership um, which we began to see in chapter 13 when we're told right in the beginning of verse 1 that having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And so even as he has loved them all the way through, now here in the end, he's really going to express to them the fullness of his love. And so as we saw in, in, in 13, that while they were bickering about who was the greatest amongst them, Jesus quietly gets up, takes off his, I'm again, refer to him as his royal robes. I know they weren't royal. They were just standard robes. But in a sense, he takes off his robes. He, he, he comes down to just his undergarment. He takes the servant's tile. 
to become just the door servant, the foot washer. And he goes around and he serves those who were bickering, those who were focusing fully on themselves. And remember, Judas Iscariot is still in the midst. He washes his Judas's feet, knowing what Judas is about to do. Because we're told that Satan has already entered into him. And so that's just a very profound thing for me. But then Jesus continues, as we went into John 14, by um, giving them promises of that were going to carry on with him. He was getting ready to leave. They were kind of disoriented about the whole thing. But Jesus said, it's profitable for you for me to leave. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go. The first thing he tells them, he says, I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a monet. Do you remember? A, a permanent dwelling place, a monet. I'm going to go and prepare a monet for you. I'm going back to my father's house, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I'm done preparing the place for you, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. An exciting thing. I mean, I, we don't know our day or our hour. We're told in the Psalms that, that our, 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 our days are written in the book. Today may be your day. Today may be the day of the rapture. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yes. Yeah. And, and you, know what's, you, know, you know what the rapture is all about? There was a massive construction project going on. And it all finished at the same time. You know, otherwise, you got this specialized little house that was made for you. So if you go up in the rapture, it's just a project. Anyways, just joking. <laughs> Anyways, but, but think about how that plays out. Jesus is going, and he's preparing this place for you individually. And when he's ready for you, there's no worry about that. There's no scariness about this. It's actually kind of exciting, isn't it? That, that my Lord is thinking about me. And so he's preparing this Monet for me. Now, what's very exciting about this, we see again in 1 Peter, that it's, um, it's a place that's reserved. Anybody remember uh, what the word terao actually means in the Greek? Guarded. Guarded. He's guarding it. It's reserved. It is being guarded. It can't be taken away. And so like in John chapter 10, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hands. And so it's, it's, a, it's an inheritance it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you. But then he continues on with his pre- uh, promises, as we saw then last week, that there were three promises that he gave them. First of all, there was the promise of his power, and that was answered prayer, okay? And you could see that he told us that we would do greater works than, than, than he did. We would have answered prayer, but it was based on, you've got to believe, you, you have to believe. If you don't believe, it's, it's not going to happen. And then it's going to be in obedience as well as we see as we come down. But then he promises them not just the presence of the Holy Spirit, because he says the Holy Spirit's going to come, and the Holy Spirit's going to lead you into all truth, right? He's going to remind you of my teachings. But then Jesus says something very special. He says that, and as we sang it in our, in our memory verse too, okay, um, that, that the Father's going to come. In the sun, and they are going to take up their Monet with us. This is the only two times Monet is used in the New Testament. That we have a permanent dwelling place in heaven. Same word. That the Son and the Father, along with the Holy Spirit, are going to set up their Monet in the individual believer. 
you got to just think about the power of that statement. I believe it's true. I don't believe Jesus is just making a... Uh, I have the fullness of the Godhead. Not like Jesus. I mean, I get Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I mean, Jesus was just like a, a tent that was filled with the fullness of the Godhead. But think about it. The same terminology is being used. I got the Godhead dwelling in me permanently. Do you get the permanence of that? It's permanent. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Why? Because he's living inside of me. And it's going to play into what we're going to talk about today in chapter 15. The Holy Spirit is living inside me. The Son, I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. But Christ now lives in me, right? And so Jesus is living in me. The Father is living in me. And because of that, I should have peace. There's the promise of peace. And it's not the peace that the world gives, because remember, the world wants to change your circumstances in order for you to have peace. Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you peace in the midst of the trials and the tribulations. I'm going to give you peace in the middle of the distress and disease. And it's going to drive the world crazy, because the world's not going to understand it. And so today, we slide into chapter 15. Chapter 15, where Jesus uses his motif of the vine and the branches, okay? Um, And in this, though, what he's going to bring out is this importance of us abiding in him. The word to abide is the word meno, meno. It's the verb of which mone is derived. Mone is the, the noun from meno. It's to remain. It's to abide. And so the same concept now that he's talking about, I'm preparing a Monet for you in heaven, and our Monet is going to be with you. Now he's going to encourage us, if you would, to Monet in him, to remain, to abide in him. Why? Because we're going to find out that there's going to be great power. But he then tells us two ways that we abide in him in this passage, and we're going to look at it. First of all, by abiding in his word, Secondly, by abiding in his love, okay? And so it's important for us to understand this, that, that as we looked at that the greater works, the answered prayer, and all that kind of stuff, that there's a, that Jesus is building this whole concept here together, okay? Now, also in John 15, you need to understand, if, if you remember, the very last statement of John 14 was he said, okay, let's leave from here. They were in the upper room. Jesus said, it's time to leave. And so now they're transitioning. They're, they're traveling between the upper room and Gethsemane. Okay? And Jesus is just teaching them along the way as he did. You know, like when he, he talked to them about the sower and the seed. When Marsh and I, years ago, I don't know, it's too many years ago now, um, were um, over in Israel, and we had a, an archaeologist as our, our guide, a Christian archaeologist, Gordy Franz, who's a great guy. And... Um, we were there for 22 days. It wasn't just a small um, tour. We were actually there for a, a study trip. So I was getting uh, seminary credit and stuff like that for that. And so the one day the bus was riding, we were up in, I don't know, the region of Samaria and that kind of stuff. The bus just stopped on the road. Middle of nowhere. Bus just stopped. And we were told, get out. This is, this is our stopping point. And you're like, there is nothing here. And so we all got out. We crossed over this, um, the, 
little kind of uh, stone fence thing, and we walked through a sheep field, a sheep, and up to a sheep fold on the top of the hill, and I'm not going to go into that. That was really kind of cool, okay? Um, John 10 stuff. It was really, really, really kind of neat. But from there, we went down the other side to this dirt path road in the middle of nowhere, um, in, um, like, around Rama and stuff like that. Anyways, and so as we were walking, Gordy turns around, Okay, so we're walking this way, right? Gordy's leading. He turns around, and he says, the sower went out to sow the seed. And as he sowed, some of the seed fell upon the, on the roadway. And the birds of the air came, and they, they plucked it up. And some of the seed fell upon the rocky ground. And sure enough, right there by the, the, the pathway was rocky ground. And he says, and then, but it had no place for, it, for its roots to come. And so the sun quickly came, and it, it scorched it, and it died out. But then some of the seed, you know, he's still backpedaling, walking this way, and we're kind of walking with him. He said, and some of the seed fell upon the thorny ground. And sure enough, wasn't there right next to the rocky ground, the thorny ground. Anyways, then you know the next part, there was the fruitful ground, right? And sure enough, there was a field right there. It was so cool. It was like walking with Jesus in that moment, okay? Except for this guy didn't have the, the, the robe on and the sandals and, you know. And um, he didn't look like Jesus. Didn't have a, anyways, so... Um, at least the Anglo perspective of it. And so, anyways, but I could, at that moment, I could just imagine what it was like to be one of his disciples. And Jesus just walking down the road and turn around and say, oh, you know, by the way, the sower went out to sow the seed. I mean, it just was happening in, in life. And so that's what's going on now. Jesus is just teaching his disciples. But think about it. He's going from the upper room. Judas is now left to do what? To betray him. To bring the troops to find him. He knows where he's going to find him. Where is he going to find him? Gethsemane. Why? Because that's what Jesus' pattern was, to go pray amongst the olive trees at Gethsemane. Jesus knew it. Wouldn't you change your pattern for one night? No, not Jesus. That's exactly right. Because it was all part of the what? Plan. And so here he is knowing he's hours, just hours from being arrested, from being flogged, from being spit upon. And yet he's serving, lovingly serving his disciples. He loved them to the end. And so he begins to teach them. And he says to them, I'm the vine. You guys are the branches. And then he goes on with what we're going to talk about today because there's some pretty powerful statements that are being made. First of all, we want to talk about the part of abiding in his word. And there's the evidence. And we're going to have this, these two cyclical um, statements I'm going to make. Okay? I hate cyclical statements, but it's here. Jesus has it, and it's here. Okay? The first part is the evidence of abiding in Christ is bearing fruit. How do I know that you know. I asked that to Ray, right? Okay, just as Ray was coming to his last days. Ray, how do I know? How do I know that you really know Jesus Christ? What evidence is there in your life that Christ is in your life? And he says, I pray now. I've never prayed before. That's pretty cool. And if you knew Ray at all in his past, that's a true statement. And so there was a radical change for, for Ray to want to talk to God. 
Okay? That's relationship. It may, may not be like um, Billy Graham kind of fruit, but it was Ray fruit. Do you get it? And so if you are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, you will bear fruit. Well, Jesus comes up to this point, though, and he says, every branch in me that what? That does not bear fruit. Ooh. He takes away in every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more. The he, I should state, is the father, right? Who is the vine dresser. So Jesus is the vine. We're the branches, okay? But the father is the one who's going to take care of the vine and the branches in order for them to bear much fruit, okay? So there potentially are branches that aren't in the vine, okay? So you can see the picture that I have. I brought it down to the bottom corner. This is the the vine, okay? This massive brown thing is part of the vine. But see the, the small little lighter brown thing here? That's the branch. And the grapes are coming out of the the branch. Now, if the branch, or what appears to be a branch, isn't really attached to the vine, what's going to happen? Nothing's going to happen. Nothing, purely nothing's going to happen. There's not going to be any life flow that goes from the ground, through the vine, into the branch. Because it's not attached. It's not attached. So there won't be any fruit. So how do you know if someone's not attached to the vine? There's no fruit. Jesus says if there's no fruit, then the Father's going to come. He's going to take it away. And then he says again in verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. There are a lot of people who attend church. But they're not real branches. I'm not the judge. But Jesus called us to be fruit inspectors. And you'll know them by their fruit. A fig tree produces what? Figs. It it doesn't produce grapes. A grapevine doesn't produce figs. Someone who is in Christ will produce Christ fruit. Someone's in the world is going to produce what? Worldly fruit. This is kind of a no-brainer here, isn't it? That's what Galatians 5 is all about, and we'll come to that in a moment. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, uh, it's actually John the Baptist, declares um, in his ministry, he says, when he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees Coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. That's our word metanoia that we love to talk about. Change the way you think. Because if you've changed the way you think, it's going to, you're going to change the way you act. Okay. So he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then down in verse 10, even now... The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his flesh, threshing floor, and gather his wheat into the barn. He will burn up the chaff 
with unquenchable fire. I'm not a hellfire and brimstone teacher, but this is a hellfire and brimstone passage. Do you get it? If you're here today, and you really aren't abiding in Christ, and we're going to have testimony of this, how are you going to know, okay, through this day? You're going to be abiding in his word, and his word's going to be abiding in you. This is the first step right here. And so you can just take this one right off the bat. If you are not abiding in his word, you have no desire to read his word. You're not spending time in his word at all. And his word is not abiding, flowing through you. Take note. Be careful. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, when he was talking about the separation from God, hell, he said, where there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. The gnashing of teeth, I saw a guy do this once. He was, um, um, they wanted to use the previous church I pastored, they wanted to use our facility to have Messianic services, which I love Messianic services, and I don't have a problem with that at all. But you've got to be careful when you come to Messianic individuals of what they truly believe, what, what is behind just Shabbat worship. And so I asked him, I said, so, so what do you do with people, what do you think about people who worship on on Sunday, the first day of the week, he says, well, I think God will give you a chance to repent at the, uh, at the, at the, at the throne. I said, whoa. I said, I said, whoa. I said, so what you're really saying is that we're not true believers, but God's going to, in his grace, give us a, yeah, that's, I guess, what I'm saying. I said, well, what do you do with Paul? And I mean, I, I didn't even get the Colossians. And teeth were gnashed. I hate Paul! hateful i said what do you do with peter then i mean he's your he's your guy and peter gives testimony to paul in second peter chapter three anyways he's already irate at this point he probably wanted to gnash on me at that moment and um but gnashing of teeth i saw it man i mean he wanted to just bite into something in hell there's going to be people gnashing teeth they're going to be so angry at god the Richard Dawkins of the world, who are God-haters. They're not going to change when they get there. They're going to go through eternity, blaming God and hating God. But there's going to be a group that are weeping, that are crying, that are sad. Because although they knew the truth, they didn't submit to it. In my quiet time, I'm going through Revelation. In Revelation chapter 9, um, in the 6th, trumpet um we're told about the devastation that comes upon him but twice it tells us within that trumpet that the people would not repent they wouldn't repent even though they see what's going on in fact in one of the seals i think it's a sixth seal they even declare this as the wrath of the lamb coming upon them and they're hiding in the mountains they still will not repent there are people in churches who know, who know, but they don't want to give up their foot in the world to have the fullness of Christ. And you cannot play the fence game. Jesus said you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve two gods. It's one or the other. Make the decision. And I don't know, I mean, I can look around and say, oh, yeah, 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 you guys, you, you all got it. But I don't know that. You know it. You know whether you're playing the game. You know where your toes are. You're not fooling God. Be not deceived. God is not 
mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that also shall he reap. Marsh and I, when we first got saved, our life verse together was James 1, 22 to 25. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds his face in a mirror or in a glass. He beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Do you get it? Jesus said, if there are no fruit being revealed in your life, you're not a real branch. I don't know how else to say it. So that's my hellfire and brimstone, okay? Probably for a year or two. So that's it. So what's the second part? Those who are bearing fruit, though, you'd think would be glorified, but oh, no, no, no. The, the vine dresser, the father, for those who are bearing fruit, what does he do? He prunes them. Do you ever prune a tree? You, know, you take that, those pruning shears and you lop it. You think, oh, now hopefully you're waiting until what? Why? What do you mean by that? What do you mean that the tree's dormant? What happens to make it dormant? The sap returns back. The sap comes out of the branches and returns back down into the base. Okay? And so, I don't know if you knew that or not. Anyways, and that's why you want to prune at that point. If you prune too early, then you're allowing the sap to, to come out. Our father is the perfect vine dresser. He knows the perfect time to prune us. And the purpose of his pruning is to do what? To make us even more fruitful. Isn't that kind of exciting? And so when you go through the trials and tribulations, the troublesome times, there's a reason for it. There is no temptation or troublesome situation that's overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be troubled, tried, tempted, beyond what you're able to what? Bear. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape but the reality is he wants us to bear up under it hupomene he wants us to be able to, to endure he wants us so hupomene which is really kind of fun it's hupomeno to remain under permanently okay he wants us to be able to come up under this weight and be strengthened like weightlifters and the only way you lift heavier weights is by putting what P- putting more on we don't want that though but we do but we don't but we do but we don't you know, we want to be strong believers, but we want to go through what it's going to take to become strong believers. But our loving Heavenly Father knows what it's going to take for us to become even more fruitful. And so in the right season, He prunes us. So if you know that you know that you know, and you wonder why this is happening to you, maybe your loving Heavenly Father knows this is the proper season for your branch to be pruned in order that you might be even more fruitful for him, for his kingdom's glory in the future. Embrace it. Embrace the cutting. Now, Bob is not a great vine dresser. I know that I have probably messed up my pecan trees in my days of pruning them. 
not knowing how to actually prune. Now, I didn't know at the moment, at that time, that I, that I should cut it on an angle and that I should paint it and, and, and have, like, Listerine even in it. And, and to, yeah, you should put stuff in it that, that protect it from getting viruses and germs and everything. You seal that thing. I didn't know that. And so if you come and look at my pecan trees, you can see the gnarls and everything else where one day my pecan tree is going to fall in my house, and, you know, because Bob's bad pruning job. My father doesn't do that. Do you get it? My father is the perfect husbandman. He's the perfect vine dresser. But what are the fruit? That's the question we really need to ask. What are the fruit? That, that's a, a lot of times people wanted to battle this, about this fruit thing. Is it, is it believers? Is it, I'm leading other souls to Christ? That's a possibility. But I think that's just a segment of the greater thing. And we came out of John 14 to go into John 15. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. And what was one of the things Jesus promised us that I sort of capitalized a little bit on about what's going to happen to me when Jesus leaves? Ah, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to live in me, right? And then even the Father and the Son are going to live in me. And what are they going to do when they're setting up their Monet in me? Well, we know from Philippians chapter 2, I'll come to Philippians 1 in a second. From Philippians chapter 2, we're told that God is the one who uh, wills, uh, works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And that Philippians 1, not this one, but before in verse 6, that he who began the good work in me will also perform it to the day of Christ. Well, what are they going to do? Well, that's where we come to this Philippians 1, 9 to 11, where we're told about the fruits of righteousness that, that they're going to work in me. And so, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what kind of fruit are they? Well, they're fruit of righteousness. Ultimately, what are these fruit going to accomplish? No, no, they're going to appear in righteousness, but what are they going to accomplish? They're going to glorify God. They're going to give praise and glory to God. And so that's where we then come into Galatians chapter 5, maybe. No, there we go. Now it went two places. Let me go backwards. There we go. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Oh, how we hate self-control. Don't you always wonder? That's the last one. And it's always the one that we struggle the most, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is that which God is working in us. If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, if the life flow... So I think Psalm 1 here, I think it's on your sermon note sheet. I'm not going to bring it up. But Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the council of the ungodly, nor sits in his way of sinners, nor stands in the... Or, Stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. That this guy is, is planted, and his, and his roots are, are in the waters of life. That's the Holy Spirit. So think the vine, you know. And so drought may come, but he's still got a source of strength and a source of nourishment. And so it's coming up through. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that's being sapped up. It's the sap, if you would. It's the life that is in you. And if that, that life force is in you, 
If, if the Godhead, think about this, <laughs> the one who created, who spoke it all into being, the one who on day three brought forth all those seed-bearing fruits, right? If, if he is dwelling in you, do you think he's able to cause you? To motivate you? To train you? To teach you? To bring forth fruits of righteousness that are to his praise and glory? That look like, first of all, love. That all of a sudden you start loving people that you never could love before. Because you're so stinking in love with yourself. We still struggle with it. Oh, we struggle with our self-love. But, but all of a sudden we see something different working in us. And we go, I really care about other people now. Where'd that come from? It's like an alien living inside me. Did you ever watch those alien movies? Oh, don't worry, sorry. Anyways, but it's, it's kind of like it's taken over my body. And I feel sometimes that way with Jesus. It's like God has taken over Bob. You go back and look at Bob when he was in his young 20s. He doesn't look like Bob at 60. I praise the Lord for that. I was talking to an older woman who um, was just talking about um, God. She's a believer, but she was just frustrated with God that God, you know, you got these people who live righteously or, or good, but they're going to go to hell. And there's a, a guy who's killed all these people and he accepts Jesus as their savior and he gets to go to heaven. That just doesn't seem to be right, you know? And I'm, no, no, no. God is a God of grace, man. He has left it wide open for everybody it's just that individual who thinks he's living a good life is living a life of pride and he's not submitting himself to the plan of god i am so glad that god is a god of grace because if you knew bob before the wicked bob i i have no, no i would i there is no monet for me in heaven man i mean i mean we're talking about monet in hell waiting for bob but for jesus Christ's grace I am the least person to complain about God giving somebody 1159, you know, midnight's too late, right? So I'll give them 1159 and 59 seconds to, for, for them to accept Christ as their Savior. My grandma got saved two weeks before she died. Two weeks! You know what? She missed the blessing of knowing the love of Christ. And she knew it. For the last two weeks of her life, she knew it. That she had fought and kicked against him all of her life. But he was loving on her. I got to see her the night that she died. It was so cool to see her face beam when she talked about Jesus. It's not what she looked like in, in, in days past when she talked about Jesus. How he changes you when he comes to live inside of you. Oh, do you have the change? Is there something in your life that you know has changed. Are you loving people? Are you loving your enemies? Are you loving the brethren? Is there a joy in the midst of circumstances that you've never had before? I mean, you'd be frustrated. You'd be wanting to bust somebody's teeth out. Finding good boxes. I mean, that was Bob. I want to just find, I'm going to go find a box because I want to beat somebody's head in right now. I'm from the city, you know? I mean, it's just like what you did, you know? And, and so... I'd rather beat up a box than beat up somebody because I don't get in trouble for beating up a box. Unless there's something of yours in it, then I get in trouble. Anyways, so, but you get what I'm saying. So the love, the joy, the what? Peace. That's a promise from Jesus. My peace I 
lead to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. The love, the joy, the peace, the what? What was it? Go ahead, say it, Debbie. Long what? Suffering. Do you know what it means in the Greek? Long suffering. Yeah. It means to suffer long. That's exactly right. Flip the words. It's still there. Suffer long. We call it patience. That's why I'll never be a doctor. I keep losing my patience. And, you know. Anyways. <laughs> to suffer long. Are you suffering longer now? Are you, are, you make it, is your fuse a little bit longer now than it used to be? I mean, now for some people, that's not a big deal. They had a long fuse and they were just those kind of people. Not Bob. My kids can testify to, to Bob's fuse. You know, and it's one of the things Matt has as a testimony. And I don't say this to glory for myself, but he has shared in our young men's Bible study that he's seen in my life one of the areas that he has seen that my fuse has gotten longer, that God has been working in my life over many, many years, and I've been seeking to be submitted to that. And so, um, anyways, maybe it's old age, I'm getting soft, whatever. But, um, but I, I think it's God working in, in my life. Anyways, you can go through these things. Think about it. There ought to be something going on in your life that you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit being played out in your life, if you are truly abiding in the vine. Now, the other side of the cyclical thing is um, that our source of bearing fruit is then abiding in Christ's word. And so you can see the evidence of abiding in Christ is bearing fruit, but the source of bearing fruit, Jesus then says, is abiding in his word. Our dependence then upon abiding in Christ to bear fruit. In verse 4 he says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot, what? Cannot. Do you get it? It cannot. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There are a lot of people who are trying to do righteous acts apart from Jesus. But they're not true righteous acts. Because they're self-righteous acts. It's like the Pharisee who's praying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this, this publican over here. But the publican said, Lord, forgive me, right? Jesus said the publican went away um, justified, thank you, in, in, the, in, the, in the Pharisee went away condemned. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. So Philippians 4.13, I can do what? All things, but you can't stop there. Through Christ who strengthens me. Because if I'm not attached to the vine, I can do nothing. But if I'm attached to the vine, I can do what? All things. That goes back to his promise that if you are abiding in him, if you are in him, if you believe, then you will be able to do greater works than even him. If it's according to his will, and he wants you to do something, if you believe you're abiding in the vine, then what's going to happen? You're going to be able to accomplish. Whatever he has put in your path to accomplish. Believest thou this? Do you believe it? Do you believe? Our dependence then goes into our confidence in abiding in Christ's word for answer prayer. Jesus said then in verse 7, If you abide in me in my words... 
abide in you. See, now he transitions it and gives us a little bit of definition of what he means of having him abide in us. It's having his words abide in us. And so as we sang this morning, there's a reason why we sang um, Mame, Psalm 119, and then John 8 as our hymns in the middle. Because we were singing God's word, and it's the, it's the, the, the produce of having God's word in us. David says that I have more understanding than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I understand more than my teachers because your testimonies are my delight, are my meditations. If you truly are a disciple of Jesus, Jesus said that you're going to abide in his word, you'll be his disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free and then he says here in verse 7 right you're going to ask whatever you desire and it'll be done for you why because if you know his word you know his will to get it so psalm 37 verse 4 says if you delight yourself in the lord you will get the desires of your heart that's name it claim it i mean you think about that you're going to get the desires of your heart wait stop for a moment I skipped the first part of it, didn't I? What's the first part? If you delight yourself in the Lord. Do you get it? Because if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, if you're abiding in his word and his word is abiding in you, you are going to change the way you think. You're going to change the way you want. You're going to change your desires. And all of a sudden, you're going to start desiring the things that he desires, wanting the things that he wants. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. Those things are going to start bubbling out in you. And all of a sudden, you know what? You're going to be praying about people being saved rather than having a pink Cadillac. Not not that I want a pink Cadillac, but you get what I'm saying. You can throw whatever weird thing in there that you want. Because that's what it really is. It's selfish. And James tells us we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we ask amiss that we may spend it on ourselves and our own pleasures. And he tells us friendship with the world is enmity with God. I ought to be wanting the things that he wants. And when I start wanting the things that he wants, and I will the things that he wills, when I open my mouth up, he promises that I'll have answered prayer. You want answered prayer? Start praying according to the word of God. Anyways, our confidence in abiding in him. Secondly, we have this abiding in his love, which is equally as important because jesus now comes that if we're going to abide in his word that's his commands as well and he's going to give us then again he's already told us and he's going to state this numerous times he's even going to pray pray it for us in in john 17 okay that this is the primary command if you get nothing else get this guys is what he's basically saying this is my command that you what that you love one another and so we, as we saw in chapter 14, by this, everyone was going to know that you're my what? Disciples. If you what? If you have love for one another. And so now he goes on. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And the expression of abiding in that love, then, is we're going to have love for one another. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. Do you think Jesus wants us to love one another? And so what do you think the word love is there? Agapao. Or agape is the noun, agapao, the verb. 
Okay? And so, again, we've talked about this in the past, but for those who may not have heard this in the past, there are three primary, now there's four, Storge is a familial love family, but generally, amongst people, there are three primary loves. There's eros, where we get our word erotic. It's selfish love. It's, quote-unquote, we say love in, in the English language, but it's just, I, I love pepperoni pizza, right? Because it what? It tastes good. Now, I'm just getting past the COVID days, right? So in, yesterday, I actually had a latte and, and enjoyed it. And then last night, I had decaf coffee that wasn't. Anyways, I got an hour of sleep last night. Um, my body wasn't used to having caffeine, and then it got overdosed on the caffeine. Anyways, but for the last month, you know, I lost my smell. My smell came back. And there was something putrid smelling in our house. I couldn't figure out what it was. I mean, I swept. I mean, I couldn't do much work, but I took up an hour of, of stamina to, to, to sweep out the sun porch and stuff, and I just thought dust was collecting or whatever, and, and my smell was coming back, and I mean, it was just bad. It was awful. But that didn't take care of it. And, and I'm walking through the house, and the house stinks. All of a sudden, I realized it was Marcia's coffee. No, it's her coffee. Her coffee's on. And I said, honey, did you change your coffee? She says, well, yeah, I changed it to Gvalia a couple days ago. And I went, that stinks. And I took a sip. Oh, that's awful. That is just plain nasty, awful. Then it came to my brain. Hmm, this could be a bigger problem. <laughs> and I went out to the pantry and I opened up the Maxwell house. Oh, oh, it was putrid. I hated it. I couldn't believe it. That which was beautiful to me was now, I no longer erost coffee. <laughs> Do you get it? Because that's what I did. I erost coffee because I loved its aroma. I loved its taste. You know, I just loved coffee. No. Now, that love may be coming back. The fickle person that I am, it's starting to please me a little bit more. And so, except for the night, sleepless night, I'll have to get used to it. And, um, Anyways, but, but the point is, for four weeks, I wanted no part. Isn't it sad when we treat people that way? We treat people that way. Because they burp the wrong way. Now, if you're from the city, you understand there's proper ways of burping. Anyways, but you get what I'm saying. That, that they do something that's just wrong to you, and it's an irritant to you, and you want nothing to do with them shouldn't be in the body of Christ. We have to be resilient and gracious to one another. To be able to build each other up. Speaking the truth in love. Phileos, brotherly love. Brotherly love. It's, it's, if you need something, I'm here for you. You need a shirt? As long as I have another one in the closet, you got it. You need food? As long as I got more oatmeal, I'm making some for you. But if there's only one shirt, only one bowl of oatmeal, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying that maybe you find a shirt someplace. I'm praying that you... Because that's phileo love. Agapao love, agape love, is selfless love. It's self-sacrificing love. It's a committed love. It's beyond the feelings love. Now, I'm not saying that there's no feelings involved, but you get what I'm saying. Now it's a matter of if there's only one shirt, it's your shirt. If there's only one bowl of food, it's your food. 
You, Philippians chapter 2, are more important than me. Your value is greater than my value. That's the mind of Christ, Philippians 2 tells us. And that's what I have to live. And so, having a love for one another is... And then there's this friendship with Christ, verse 13 to 15. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. How cool is this? Do you get the terms that Jesus uses for us? We're also told by Paul that we are children of God. In John, in his epistle, behold, what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Jesus said, I call you friends. You're not my servants. I remember when I was out on a um, camping trip with some teenage boys. Uh, Woody Woody and I were out with these teenage boys, and I couldn't get to sleep. guy next to us was playing his 70s, 80s music, which I used to DJ and stuff like that, and it just throws me for a loop every time I hear that kind of stuff. Woody had gone over, asked him to turn it down. He turned it down, but still I'm just I'm, I'm railing, you know. And I'm praying to God, and in the midst of this, and I know this gives you the willies. This is for Bob. Don't write it in your Bible, okay? But I had a day vision, whatever, um, at the time, and I saw God on his throne, in um probably not really god but you get what i'm saying it was that was the vision and you ever see those transformers that you know kind of went from one thing to another thing and you can you know and while i watched the throne transformed into an easy chair and you got to understand i always saw god as my judge he was the one who was going to to judge me you know and so there was more fear and he reached down he says but i am your abba come up and let's read a good book together Again, don't write it down for you. Bob needed to know that. Bob needed to hear that. And I was overwhelmed. We're going to talk about that because that comes from John 17, verse 3, when we get there, knowing him. It was all about individually, personally, knowing who he was. But that's, he wants us to be his friends, his children, but his friends, not just his servants. I don't have to walk in fear of displeasing him all the time. Do you get it? Now, I care about displeasing him, but I don't have to walk in fear about it. I'm his friend. And he is what? He's sharing with me the plans of the Father. He wants me to know these things. Well, how do I know about him? I got to read his word. I got to spend time in his word. And if I spend time in his word, not the words of a man, I talked to somebody recently who was telling me about all these people that he listened to. I said, you need, you need one thing as we're talking here. I don't listen to other people. I, I, I don't listen to podcasts. I read God's word. I, I, I become convicted about this many, many years ago. I, I don't want to be taught. In, this is being straight. I've told you this numerous times. You don't need me. You need the Holy Spirit. I want to be taught by God himself. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with you guys if you listen to teachers and stuff like that. But this guy was listening to like 10, I mean, just a wide spectrum. And you've got to stop. And you've got to start reading and focusing on God's word. That's where God has promised you truth. It's not in the words of a man. Man, and so this guy was, the reason all this came up is because, of, and I won't tell you about the guy's name. But anyways, but this guy 
had taken a, a passage of scripture in another passage of scripture and he's built a whole theology on it and then but they conjectured on it and then from his conjectures he's built more theologies do you get what i'm saying and all of a sudden it's not on god's word anymore there was some truth some truth in the beginning and that's exactly what satan does it satan takes truth and he mixes it with error and you're not going to know the counterfeit if you're not reading god's word if you're only listening to man and what man says We're friends. We're friends. And he's going to teach us everything he wants us to know. James 2, 21, 23, I don't have time. But Abraham was called the friend of God. How was he called the friend of God? Because he did what God asked him to do. Now, it may, say, it may sound kind of rude that Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I, what I command you to do. Like, pff, this is kind of fickle. But isn't it true? Think about it. If you really are his faithful believers, you're going to do what he says. It's just a natural relationship. If you're going against what he declares, then you're really not his friend. You're his enemy because you're working against him. We're going to move on. And so the fruitfulness for the father, again, goes back all the way back to the beginning of what we talked about when we bear fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And then herein is my Father glorified that you bear what? Much fruit. And so you didn't choose me. I chose you. I'm not going to run from this. Okay? This is where the concept of election and everything comes from. Okay? I, I believe in election, but I also believe in free will. Where did the whole plan of salvation come from? Did it come from you? Did it come from man at all? No, it came from God. God established this thing. He is the one who elected, chose us. Electos is the, the idea of electing or casting a vote. Okay, And so he is the one who voted for us. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay? And we know from 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God desires what? All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, but it all starts with Jesus choosing us, not us choosing him. If there's any pride in you thinking that you've done something for him, get rid of it. Because again, you can do nothing on your own. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing on your own. Only when you are attached to the vine. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says um, that there is a new creature that comes about. Old things are past. Behold, all things have become new. So in the end, how fruitful is your life? How fruitful? Is there fruit? If you look back, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 5 years, maybe it's 20 years. Maybe for some, it may be 6 months. Is there a change in your life? It's not about you. It's about what God's doing in your life. And so in that, are you abiding in Christ's word? And if you say that you are, the next question has to be considered. What evidence is there that you are? I mean, there are rabbis who have the entire Old Testament memorized but it hasn't changed their life. They haven't called upon Messiah. 
So you may read God's word. You may give him his five minutes in the morning, his 10 minutes in the morning or whatever. But is his word changing your life? How do you know? Secondly, then, are you abiding in his love? Again, what evidence is there that you're abiding in his love? Is it your primary desire in life to glorify the Father? And then finally, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, that you do purge us in love if we are yours because you want us to bear more fruit. But Lord, help us to be mindful as well that truly those who are not connected to you will not get away with it, that you know those who are false. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today or whoever listens to this message in some manner, Lord, that they would be convicted by your spirit, by your grace, and be drawn to you for your glory. Oh, God, we pray that you would be magnified. Lord, help us to love one another. Help us, Lord, to, to operate in this world like we are truly your friends, like we're truly ambassadors, we're truly children of God, that you might receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.